Good day, everybody. This is Kavita Dillon. And I'm Evan Simons. And we are here for the first episode of Mike Hoops, presented by Night Hoops. And Night Hoops is a charity organization in Vancouver, BC, whose mission is to empower youth and communities through an inclusive basketball program. Um, it started in about 1996, and here in 2021, we are looking to just have some conversations uh, with members of our basketball community about the impact of hoops. Our very first guest we have is former Night Hoops coach, former Van Tech senior girls coach, where he won a city championship, former Burnaby North coach, former Quest University coach, uh, and then current BC Boys 15U head coach, and of course, Capilano University men's basketball coach, uh, where, where he is a PacWest silver medalist. It, uh, we are pleased to, to introduce and bring on Cassidy Canamere. Cassidy, welcome. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the podcast. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, guys. I, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, Night Hoops is is so dear to my heart. Um, I, It's funny that we're talking about Night Hoops today. Um, at the school I work at, Britannia Secondary, my day job, um, Clayton Krellen just did like a one hour and 45 minute um, presentation and, and also talked uh, briefly about his how basically night hoops and Yash uh, Yash uh, the, one of the coaches I can't remember mm-hmm. Yash's last name but he's still coaching at uh, Killarney Secondary and he talked about Yash's impact on him and his life and introducing him to um, you know competitive basketball basically and mm-hmm. and really helping his uh, basketball uh, path and talked about how night hoops and community centers helped his path. So I thought that was really cool. And it's, it's very, uh, you know, a bit of fate here today that we're talking about night hoops and, and, and Clayton just mentioned uh, the amazing impact it had on him. So, so great, great to be here. Thank you. That's a super cool because I actually played with Clayton um, at the YMCA uh, in night hoops and it's Yash. He was, he was your coach at some point, right Kavita? Yes, um, he coached me, I mean, it started for me with the YMCA in, in summer camps. He was a, a summer camp uh, coordinator, sort of, um, and then, yeah, definitely coached me at least one year in night hoops, and then I got to be under his wing as sort of a appearance-wise uh, assistant coach a couple times um, at Champlain. Right on. Well, so and, and I, the- I was going to say that, like, one of the great, uh, great things about Yash is that, you know, I mean, he is a master lip reader and, you know, like some people don't even know that he has a hearing impairment. A hundred percent. For him to like start his sort of basketball journey, uh, doing coaching night hoops and then having that platform to, uh, you know, be, be impactful as a person with a disability it's you know there's tons of these stories and Clayton's another example of the night hoops story and how night hoops can positively affect people with like just insane uh limitations and Mm -hmm. things that hold people back and trauma upbringings and all these things that we're gonna talk about today like uh Yash is another great example of like 
an opportunity that, you know, us coaches get, right? So it was pretty cool to yeah. see Clay talk about it today. He also talked about uh, getting cut at night hoops, which I know we're not supposed to cut anybody at night hoops. I didn't know that was even possible, yeah. I don't remember this. <laughs> Hold on, it gets better. Um, I cut him. <laughs> he didn't mention he didn't mention my name thank god um and i cut him because i had a team that was so good that i was like i shouldn't take him too because then we'll just it won't even be fair I, I was gonna say him. i was gonna say was that like, would so sad he was like he was in tears because oh. he wanted to play with bruce and dimitri harris <laughs> Uh, Bruce Ariyama, Dimitri Harris, Will Edwards, yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, so many other players on Nick Marshall, um, Mike Ironside, Ben, Ben George, um, Nehemiah Campbell. I mean, there's so many players on that team that he wanted to play with all his friends. And I just watched our first practice and I was like, oh, this is bad. Like if I, if I roll up with these dudes, like we're going to be it is, won't even be fun. We'll win by a hundred points. So I was gonna God. say that would have that would have turned into the if I, I, originally when I heard you say that I thought it was the other reason like you cut him maybe you were allowed to cut players then but because you weren't you thought he wasn't good and I was gonna say that would turn into the worst coaching decision you ever made but it's <laughs> funny those for the I other. Cut, I cut him because at the end of practice, basically the scrimmage ended. Uh, with Clayton dunking over Bruce in like six foot six on six seven, like in traffic on Bruce's head. And I was like, hold on, this is high school basketball. Like, we're, not, we're not going to like, you know, the new Carisdale Community Center where there's like, you know, seven guys on the team and they're all 5'10, and I'm going to roll in with like three, six, five guards. Yeah, there's some pretty impressive gonna, names on that list. Yeah, I mean, it would have been Clayton Krellin, Dimitri Harris, and Bruce Ariyama. Uh, and we also had, like, Stefan Youngchief, Will Edwards, uh, like I said, Nick Marshall. And Nick Marshall, like, if he ever hears this, Nick Marshall was the best five foot eleven rebounder I've ever seen. He was like Sean Marion, basically, like an undersized rebounder. He ran – he told me that the way he got so athletic was he would run backwards up hills in New West. And so we, we just believed him. I mean, we, I never questioned him. Uh, and he could jump his second jump. He could like two hand tomahawk it. And he was like five ten. So just <laughs> that's, go, that's too funny. Yeah. And, and Stefan young chief, I think, I don't know if he's won an old native. Uh, Will Edwards, I think has won an old native tournament uh, men's on the, in the men's division. Um, obviously Dimitri Harris played, uh, semi-pro basketball, Clayton Krellin played pro basketball, and so did Bruce mm -hmm. Ariana played professional basketball, and I think in Division Two or Three in Spain. So the guys are wow. you know, well-decorated players. It's it's really cool to see different stories like that coming out of night hoops and how far and how far different players can get uh, out of a league that sometimes you would think you would think maybe that that isn't what you usually see. Um, but that, that's awesome to hear those that, that kind of things and, and super, super cool and a bit intimidating to think about playing a team like that. Yeah, it was. It was tough. But I, I, I think like with, uh, it, I was really thankful this morning when Clay didn't mention what, you know, like that mm -hmm. I cut him because it would have really looked bad on me at the school. 
that I was the one that cut him. Um, so I'm <laughs> glad he didn't remember that. Uh, I, I kind of know him. I don't know him great, but um, yeah, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that was a, maybe 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 he did that purposely. I don't know. So yeah, you talk about you talk about I guess uh, Clay coming in to to kind of do these kind of coaching things, and that's definitely kind of cool to see. To see, as I guess from from you starting as a coach and you starting him as a player, and then now he's uh, a trainer and he uh, and he he's coaching now. So kind of yeah. on that theme, what what was what initially drove you or or brought you into coaching? So in my grade twelve year. Uh, I broke my ankle in, um, in, uh, inner, uh, not inner squad, but, um, uh, intramural game. So I went up for a rebound. Some guy went underneath my legs and I fell basically on my right ankle and shattered my ankle. And so I, I was going to be out for the year. Um, and so I took up, I, I, I did some acting, uh, in, in the drama program, and I also took on uh, the grade nine basketball team. Uh, one of the grade 12 students had also took on um, that team and I was helping him coach. And um, it was like a bit of a coup almost because the players didn't want him anymore. And then they wanted me to coach them. And it was, there's so much drama, um, but that <laughs> team had, um, uh, an amazing plethora of players uh and that was my first coaching experience and one two of the players are are john and dave mubanda who i'm still friends with um john and dave were part of a group called nautic which was a streetball group uh basically around the same time as n1 and it was bc's version of streetball and so john and dave, i had john and dave on this team was and i uh, do you remember that Kavita? was one of them ghost one of them had a nickname ghost yeah that yes he's turned into a rapper now as well yeah so it was like joey haywood right we all know they joey. played at langara right. ymca with yash as well um in night yeah. so that's so small funny. world totally. yeah so, so so john and dave mubanda they were on that grade nine team and we had a lot of other good players on that team but they were like misfits right like all of them were just mm. misfits and, you know, like we play, you know, it's only like a five game season. We won, I think three out of the five games. And I felt like in that moment that I had a bit of a, uh, you know, there, there was something to it. Like I, I definitely connected well with the players. Mm. I definitely felt like um, they got better throughout the season. And it was something that I felt like was, I felt right there and then that I could do that. And it was That's something incredible. that I was, I felt really confident, confident with. And I started to think about it. And, and from there, um, I think I got my first opportunity. My pay, first paid opportunity was in, was it when I was about 20 years old with Steve, the Steve Nash youth league. And that's when, that's when I started to really see that, um, you know, I was organized enough to have a plan. Um, I was, I guess like held players accountable enough that they were disciplined on the floor. And I definitely um, held a good practice where, you know, there was, it was an organized practice where there was clearly a plan in play. And, and, and so those kind of three things I was doing when I was in grade 12 and, and, and when I started in Steve Nash, 
Nash Youth Leagues, like I was always just kind of organized. And, and when I started doing my coaching training, my level one, two, three, with um, I did my level one with Kevin Hansen, my level two with um, Scott Clark, uh, the Thompson Rivers head coach, and my level three with uh, Allison and Mike McNeil. So when I was doing my levels, I could see that I was definitely had a plan in place and that the, 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 there was a ton of structure to coaching. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that I got that from, uh, I had a great coach, uh, Kirby Trolland and Moans and Corey were the assistants. And those were my baseball coaches. And they, they were very hard on us. Uh, it was an East Van baseball team. And we, that East Van baseball team, we made Westerns and it was just a bunch of misfits. But boy, did we, like, we stuck together. We played hard. We were a team. And we were the kind of team that was like, we outwork everybody in baseball. And you know how hard that is, Evan, being a baseball player. Like, we stole bases. We squeezed mm -hmm. bunted. We, you know, we, we had all the little things, small ball little things that made a great baseball team. And so we would just roll teams. And after, if we made mistakes, we'd be running after the game you know, we'd win by 12 runs. The other team's getting like the solitude, you know, oh, guys, it's okay. Like, you know, you tried your best. We'd be getting screamed at for winning by only 12 and we'd be running. And so I think right there, I was like, wow, what a, what a amazing uh, sort of challenge of, you know, running as a, as not a punishment, but as like a reward. Mm. We're running, we're, we're going to out, we're not going to, we're going to be in better shape than you. We're going to outwork you. That kind of mindset uh, they created. Like when we lost, we didn't run. We only ran when we won. That's so interesting. That, that kind of that kind of putting conditioning as like a uh, positivity, positive outcome. And so I think reward from so you get to grade, get better. Yeah. And that grade seven, grade eight, grade nine year that I played for those guys, that kind of gave me a foundation and I mm. still I still use positive conditioning as a part of my coaching. <laughs> coaching. I, love, I love that. I think I think that's that's super cool. It sounds like you really had that magnetic connection to it mm -hmm. in every sort of aspect of what coaching is. It's funny you mentioned um, the organization of coaching. Um, I don't think I really learned how to to build out a plan actually until I became a night hoops coach. Um, right. because funny part of that is part of the administrative work is you have to submit your plan, um, yeah. or at least when I was coaching. Yeah. Right. Um, which brings me to our, to our next question. If you can tell us a little bit about your history with night hoops, maybe, um, how you started with night hoops, kind of what period of time you were, I think you were mostly a coach, um, with night hoops and, and maybe what community, uh, centers you also coached at. So I work, I worked at the kid, kid safe project society with a woman named Tanya Finladder and her, that was her summer job. Her day job was, she was a community center coordinator at Collingwood Community Center by Choice Station. And Tanya um, had the, I guess, vision, I'll say, to think of me as someone that was capable enough to do that, which, you know, I, I haven't seen her in years, but I owe Tanya a lot of, um, I just owe a lot to her. Because I think if she didn't do that, maybe I didn't wouldn't have gone through with coaching at higher levels because I was enjoying coaching elementary students, right? Mm -hmm. And she really had that vision. And I, um, so I started at Collingwood 
uh, neighborhood house and I had a team of underage players. So that was a senior team, but it was all grade 10 players. And my first year I, I had um, uh, a mix of Windermere, um, Gladstone, Britannia, and Burn Creek players. And on that team, I had a player named Michael Ironside, who's currently my assistant coach at Capilano University. So though that route, those roots are set, right? Like those people on that team, when I see those kids, they're now are adults. And, you know, I had a, a, a great group of guys, but they were all in grade 10 at the time. And, you know, I thought we had a really good team. And I, I you know, like we... Um, that first year, like I, you know, like, you know, you mentioned earlier about practice planning. So every practice I'd show up and I'd have my list of like eight to 10 things that we're going to do. And we had like a kind of like a, a, you know, we had like a high ball screen, you know, like thumbs, we had like a floppy set. Uh, and we worked on that stuff, like, but we mostly worked on footwork because at the time when I started at night hoops, was when I was doing my level one with Kevin Hansen at Langara College. And I was in my minor in human kinetics. And Kevin taught me a lot about like jab play, jab series. Mm. And so that first season with that younger group, we really worked hard on triple threat attacks, right? Mm -hmm. Ca catch and shoot attacks, pump fake attacks, uh, jab and go, jab and cross. And I'll tell you right now, I'm literally still doing those same types types of teaching basic offensive principles one-on-one -on -one principles to my cap players right now obviously it's a bit more advanced and there's more counter movement and a bit more dribble drive action movement but like still like to this day i'm still working very similarly to the type of stuff i was doing at, at night hoops and That's robert so cool. one of the robert moya i believe is his name uh, ricardo was another player from windermere um yeah so i think ricardo Devin, Michael, yeah, they were all Windermere guys. And, and anyway, Robert too, Robert Moya. And Robert said to me about 10 years ago, he was, you know, mid-20s mid at the time. He goes, that, the way you taught us offensive basketball still sticks with me to this day. And that really stuck with me because one of the things that um, I try to preach, right? And I was preaching back then, and, and it's definitely a Kevin Hansen type of philosophy, but it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, this is how we're going to limit turnovers. This is how we're going to be, you know, have better vision of the court. This is how we're going to be more fundamentally sound when we catch the ball. And, you know, Robert to this day, I mean, he, you know, probably playing men's league, he's a catch and shoot player, he's a one dribble attack player. You know, he's the jab series type of player. And so I think that base model, um, when, when I started in that first year, really set a good tone for, um, I think, like our offensive side of, the, of basketball. And my favorite memory from the first year is, is losing in the playoff game, because I think that team thought they were pretty nice. And um, <laughs> I, we lost. I don't remember who we played, um, but it was at Britannia, Jim C at Britannia. And I brought all my friends out to see it because I said, oh, this team's really good, but, you know, they can get, you know, like they can get out of hand for sure. They can get above themselves and, you know, be hot-headed and all that stuff. And, 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 you know, at that time I wasn't great at managing the egos in that senior level of play and mm -hmm. we lost, we lost a close game 
and our season was over. And I remember thinking like, there's so much room for improvement, you know, like, and that was my first platform where I felt that, you know, felt that, mm. um, How disappointment. Appropriate. <laughs> yeah, disappointment. Right. And, and that's what drives me is striving to be better, right. Striving to win the championship, striving to get better as a coach. I, that was my first experience because every, all the elementary school coaching that I was doing the Steve Nash youth league, I was winning. Right. And when you're winning, you think you're like, Oh man, I'm, I'm good. I don't need to, what do I need to change? This system right. works. And when you lose and night hoops gave me that platform to lose because it was competitive. There was, was other good coaches. There was other organized coaches. It wasn't just, I'm the only one that's organized. Right. You, that, you, yeah. Yeah. When you talk about I really, that, I can I really see. Really enjoyed that part of it. I can see. I can totally see how how something like uh, like just back when you were playing baseball and and when you win, trying to get better and trying to improve. I can totally see how you just kind of tie that into your your coaching philosophy. Now, just talking about that, that's awesome. Yeah, and that group was a really that that group was not a group that had a ton of talent. They thought they had a ton of talent. <laughs> And, but they were all guys that were basically, you know, they were playing on that night hoop team because Tanya had them at the community center and they were, you know, they were basically booted off their high school teams because of skipping. They were because mm -hmm. of academics and that was their only platform. And so that was it for them. And they, our attendance at practice was awesome. Um, and they were totally into the practice plans. They loved the structure, the organization. And it was like the thing to do it was like Friday nights. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. No, that's something like that's something that you definitely always is trying to to tackle and 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 work on and and something that that I know I've had uh, experience with is is the different life skill workshops that you deliver. Uh, I've like I've I've had it both ways as a as a player and a coach. Um, what do you kind of remember from those? Like, there's different ones like mental health, like drug addiction, financial management, and stuff like that. Like, what do you kind of remember from from delivering those two teams my first year i think the focus was going to school right mm. and, and i don't mean i think like i know i i would talk about it not in like a um a organized fashion like i have a powerpoint presentation we would end practice we'd sit down yeah and we'd talk about we'd talk about it we'd have a discussion about it because mm. i kind of know i kind of knew a bit of the guy's history and at that time I was already working at East in an East Van school um, at Grandview Elementary. So I had a lot of experience with uh, kids going sideways, kids taking mm -hmm. the wrong turns in life, kids, you know, having that fork in the road and making poor mm -hmm. decisions um, and just basically enforcing that, you know, this team's going to be about you know, is your second chance basically. And, and I want you to make the best of it. I want you to be here. I want you to go to school, you know, just saying like, you're not just going to be a basketball player in your life and enforcing that, you know, that's a, a message that we want to uh, really live by on this team that we're, we're not going to be, we're not going to have players in this team that are like, you know, not going to school at all. Right. And, and trying to get them to understand that it's not one or the other. It's both at the same time being a student athlete. For sure. Yeah. Um, 
I, I love that you said that, you know, sitting them down and, and really having a discussion. That's one thing I, I remember fondly of mm-hmm. um, being at uh, Kensington and getting to coach the girls was after practice, sitting them down in a, in a circle and like um, really, I think that's how you get to have those discussions is, is being on the ground level with them and, and one, being open to sharing what, what your experience is as well as um, being, being there to listen to theirs. Um, um, is there any specific topic? I think you kind of mentioned the, the one in the first year, but are there any other of those topics that um, you find yourself addressing with, with your college um, players um, in your more current environment? Well, I mean, with, with college players, it's, it's daily and it's in dynamic. You know, when you're dynamic, warm-ups happening and the guys are stretching, walking down the floor, I, I try my best. And I did this at Night Hoops when we used to stretch, mm-hmm. is walking and talking to every player and checking in. Right. And some of those check-ins might be goofy. Some of them might be, how are you feeling? Some of them might be lessons. And I could sit here and talk for, you know, an extended period of time of the different life lessons I've, I've talked to with my players. Right. We're for sure. I'm, I'm their coach, but like, ultimately, like I'm, I'm their friend. Right. And mm-hmm. I know that a lot of coaches say that, um, you know, there, there has to be maybe a separation between the two, but like when we're, when we're not drilling things or, or, you know, scrimmaging or game planning or watching tape in those moments where we're outside of practice, like even in those dynamic warmups, those are not competitive moments. And those moments are for friendship, for friendship development, for peer mentorship, for leadership, for all sorts of types of life lessons. And so like, you know, what do I talk about with my players when we're in those dynamic warmups? I'll be talking about leadership. I'll be talking about expectations. I'll be talking about academics. And I'll also be checking in mentally to see where players are at. Um, because I, I definitely felt that that was an important thing that I learned, not so much from night hoops, but um, when I was coaching women at, at Van Tech Secondary, um, I felt it very important that we had a check-in before we started practice. Mm-hmm. And I, now I do that with men or women, doesn't matter because it is so important for men to understand too, that like, you need to talk about how you're feeling, right. Mm-hmm. And not mm-hmm. hold it in, not hide it. Hey, I'm having a crappy day and I might not be good in practice today. I've heard that dozens of times, right. Yeah. And that's when, you know, you get that, if you get that in the dynamic warm-up. That's telling you as a coach right then and there, don't push that guy today. Absolutely. I love that. that. Right. I had, I had a woman, woman's player once at Vantech secondary say to me, Hey, and you know, this is, this might offend people, but they, you know, they said to me, Hey, I don't want to hear any more swearing from you today. We're going to, we're going to go hard today. We're going to try to listen to you better than we did yesterday, but no swearing in the drills. Mm. I was like, fine. I hear you. Yeah. I'm like, just make sure you listen then, <laughs> right? Like, but it was an agreement, right? We had an agreement in that dynamic warm-up. Yeah. That you're not going to press us today. We're going to do it. We're going to do what you ask and we're going to get on the same page because the day before they were not on the same page and I was losing my 
I was losing my tree, right? I was just sure. I was completely mad. But with my cap players, like they'll, the same thing, they'll let you know, right? And it's a lesson I wish I had in the night boops league because again, you're, you're dealing with at-risk youth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it would have been very advantageous to do more of a check-in prior to practice with players and, and give, give almost like a mental health assessment. Mm-hmm. And you know, in a year like we're experiencing right now in COVID, how important is that? It's so it huge. Is. There's there's so much going on. There's so it's and, and there there's so much time in and around sport. I think especially with your with your college level athletes. Like I know for myself, like like even in the off season, like it's it's sport all the time. It's it's you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. You're working out. You're you have practice. You have meetings. Um, and then even, but then even with night hoops, it's like some of these, like these kids are like, they're at school for six hours and then maybe they're going to a community center for another two hours and they're playing basketball. Like there's just so much time in and around your day that you're spending with your teammates or your coaches and anything. And so I think it really is important that you're, that you're a lot more than just a coach or you're a lot more than, more than that. Just being able to have that connection, like you said. I agree. And I, I think like, you know, I, I definitely saw seeds of it in my last year when I coached night hoops because I had mm-hmm. a female player mm-hmm. on my team uh, named Jennifer Jew. And Jennifer went on to play at Santa Clara University and Thompson Rivers University. And Jennifer at that time was, you know, obviously like probably a top five player in the province. Absolutely. And she would And she would text me right? I, I, I'm pretty sure she would text me and say, hey, I'm going to be late. Hey, I'm, I'm, I've had a hard day. Mm. You know, I've already had three practices, you know, like she would let me know without me asking <laughs> how she was feeling prior to practice. And so I would know going in like, okay, I can press Jen today or I cannot press Jen today because she would let me know. Mm. I remember that vividly. And, and those those types of conversations prior to practice, I mean, are invaluable. I mean, we're, we're like, we're practicing right now twice a week at cap and we still have decent attendance. Like we have 13, 14 guys showing up. We have 21 guys this year, but we have 13, 14 guys showing up every practice. And part of that I think is like, we're not going super hard. Clearly no one can be pressed because everybody's mental health is on thin ice. And I'm talking about my, my own you know, mm-hmm. not just theirs. Mm-hmm. And we all are, are trying to get through this together. Right. And, yeah. and it, it would be a good, um, maybe like uh, value to put into the night hoops plan of like coaches, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, this is, this is a, this is a template of what a practice should look like mm-hmm. or could look like. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, before you even start anything, it's a check-in. Yeah. Right? And, and with those kids, like you, you guys mentioned, you know, Clayton Krellen talking today, you know, boy, what, what, how helpful would that have been if I asked Clayton how he was feeling? Yeah. Oh, hey, hey coach. Like, yeah, I slept on the street last night. Mm. Yeah. He said that today in his, wow. in his, uh, in his presentation to Britannia. Yeah. And, you know, he said he slept on the street. He slept at the school. He was homeless. Like, yeah you know, how, how stupid do I feel sitting there going, why didn't I ever ask him how he was feeling? Maybe yeah. I did. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. 
but I didn't really get into it. You know, it wasn't to the extent I do now. Right. And, and, and I think that's a big part of who we are as leaders, right? Like, are you, are you, are you helping this person become a better person? And part of that helping this person become a better person is being on the same level with them, like Kavita mentioned, but also like seeing where you're at, mm-hmm. where are you at today? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just something today, so simple day, as that. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I love that you do that too. One, I was going to say that that has to build so much respect um, be- between the two of you, the way I think you, you also mentioned there were players that, you know, had, because it takes a, a certain amount of vulnerability to say, you know what, I'm having a bad day. Please okay. don't push me. Like, you know, so I like to, to build that type of relationship with your players where they feel comfortable coming to you and being like kind of setting a stage and but mutually respecting that, you know, again, like on that same level, um, you know, where we're, we're not going to be aggressively pushing each other, but we are going to work hard today, like you said, with your, your Van Tech girls. Um, so I think that's that's super special. And I think, um, you know, through this pandemic, a, lo- a lot of few things I've heard too is, you know, we often just kind of bypass each other in, in a, hey, how's it going or, or really quickly. But, you know, for you to kind of take a moment with each player um, before practice even starts to, to truly check in um, in what it means to ask someone, how are you doing um, is super, super special. So I think that's amazing. Um, and definitely a testament to the coach that you've become. Um, so on that note, if, if, you, if you could share uh, maybe what advice you would, would give to others um, who are looking to start up as a coach, um, what advice would that be? Anything specific um, who might be interested in, in also reaching the college level like you've been able to do? Well, I have, I have, some, I have some very sort of, what's the word? Like I've had a lot of coaches reach out to me over my time coaching at cap, especially. Mm -hmm. And I would say that in general, I've been disappointed with their follow-up and I've had many coaches say to me, Oh coach, I want to come see a practice. I want to learn from Mm -hmm. you. And then I don't see them. So I, my advice would be to young coaches is that, the only way you're going to get better is to go watch great high school coaches, college coaches, university coaches. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only way you're going to get better. Clinics, your certification, mm-hmm. um, using all the pieces of knowledge that you can obtain in your kinesiology degree. If you don't take a kinesiology degree, online stuff right? Building a playbook, right? What, what kind of coach do you want to be? Figuring out like, you know, are you a pace coach? Are you a defensive coach? Are you an offensive coach? Mm. Are you a coach that's going to let a lot of freedom happen offensively? Like establishing and writing down values of who you want to be. I've been a, I've been a pace coach my whole career, right? I love Offensive basketball and speed, defensive basketball with speed, pressure, right? Full court pressure. That's from day one. That was the kind of player I was. I love, you know, one, you know, two, two, one system. I don't use that system, but that was what I saw success when I was young. 
and I've used it and tried to try to, you know, mold it to each team that I've coached. Mm. I and think that's, that's so similar to what you, to what we tell our players and the, and the kids we lead is like, you're finding like a, like a, a strength or a skill that you're, that you're really good at, obviously as you are and, and kind of exploring it and rolling with it. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing I would say to young coaches is start, start small. Right. I think that really helped me. I think coaching totally. young kids, you know, I coached at the Vancouver Eagles. I had like five-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> if you can teach a five-year-old to play basketball, <laughs> you can do anything. <laughs> yes <laughs> I, i'm i'm laughing so hard because i have had the experience of getting to coach five-year-olds so i'm with you <laughs> right like just yeah. getting them to go in the right direction <laughs> i had parents for just a sidebar i had parents watch my five to eight-year-old practices at vancouver eagles laughing the entire time <laughs> watching me like kill myself trying to get them <laughs> to run in the right direction oh that's amazing. my best advice for that level is play no more than two on two <laughs> a lot that's of it. a lot of, that's that's what i said about that age too like you're not really teaching them well i don't know maybe i'm wrong i'm not a, i'm not your level of coach but you're not really teaching them the game of basketball yet. Like they're barely conceptualizing that they need to dribble up the court. <laughs> you're more like, let's, let's work on those um, agility and like just athletic skill set. And, you know, let's, 100%. let's scrimmage, let's give them the ball. Cause that's all they want. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I took it really seriously and we did <laughs> drills, we did fundamentals and everything was like you say, athletic, like building athletics, like sprinting, jumping yeah right moving side to side defensively we did all that stuff but we did it with a ball right huge they have to get used to the ball huge mm. right first yeah. practice put your flashers up mm-hmm. right where's your headlights i love it you don't want anybody crying That's, <laughs> if you can get a five-year-old practice without anybody crying you're you're really good you're a really good coach i maybe only did it once but it was a great thing i did it no, it's an experience you need for sure. Oh yeah, and so I would say start start young, and when you get to the older levels, start losing. Mm. You want to get better, you lose. Yeah. Tape your games. Totally. Tape your games, young coaches. Tape your games. Watch mm. watch how you subbed. Mm. How, what are your rotations? Are you playing guys for a long enough time to get in a rhythm? I'm 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 not good at that. Still to this day, I have to get better at it. Right. I watch. Oh, man. Why did I only put him in for two minutes? Why did I even take him off? What set me off to take him off? Right. I'm still analyzing that. Still trying to figure that out. So watch your games. Um, But I think the biggest thing, and I'll go back to what I said at the beginning, is you need to go watch practices of other people. That's that's number one. Right. Like you need to see what an organized practice looked like. The best practice I ever saw was not a university coach, not a college coach, was George Bergen, the head coach at Walnut Grove Secondary. He won two provincial titles, I believe, in like, you know, five-year stretch. His practices, they were doing like full-length transition two-on-o drills, like just inbounding and up the lane, 
three-point shot. This is like nine years ago. <laughs> right? Think about that. Like, yeah. think about where the game is right now. And George was doing this nine years ago. Mm. Yeah. Like, what's the first part of our offense? Getting the ball out of the hoop and inbounding it. And then sideline passing it up the floor. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, that's a great way to score, right? Like, sure. that's a good way to score. Absolutely. To get the ball up the floor in like two seconds, in two passes, yep. and shoot a three. Yep. Like, that's that's way ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. And when I was watching that practice, I was thinking, holy smokes, that's that's unreal. Like, that's an unreal way to think about offensive basketball. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we, I was with Coach Sean Shook at the time as his assistant at Quest University. Sean is the assistant at UBC now. And I'm sure that Sean would say the same thing. We learned maybe more in that practice, you know, about offensive, offensive transition basketball than maybe I learned at any clinic prior to that. Yeah. Outlet. And, when I, when I, and so when I think back to another example of that, and, and I'm, you know, really trying to hammer this home for young coaches, the other practice I learned the most was Ferndale Secondary School in right, right across the border in uh not linden um in ferndale in ferndale washington so it's 30 minutes past the border right before bellingham and at ferndale they would have the grade nines tens elevens and twelves all practicing together Mm. it's interesting and so the there's only in 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 the united states there's varsity and junior varsity right? right so there's only 24 players that are playing they probably had 36 to 40 kids in the gym. Wow. They had 10 hoops, 40 kids, and all the drills that they're doing, all the kids are doing them. And yeah, the grade nines, they're getting their butts whipped, right? Yeah. Like when they're doing competitive drills, the grade <laughs> nines, they're struggling. Yeah. But guess, guess what? Those grade nines, by the end of their grade nine year, what, what are they going to be? They're going to be machines because yeah. they're they're if, you, if you're a competitor and you're losing and getting beat every day but learning from it and having that growth mindset you know unreal right just 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 seeing that and having that uh, conceptualized for me was like very eye-opening and then of course obviously very organized practice throughout mm-hmm. and then the biggest part i thought that i took from it too besides the competitive side of having grade nine, 10 and 11 and 12 playing together was that I was amazed that they were running the same offensive systems. Right. And so guess what? Those grade nine, by the time they get to grade 12, because they're going to have the same coach yeah. coaches every year, they're going to be masters, masters of, of that offensive side basket of the offensive system that they're running. You don't have to try to cram a, a, a playbook into a kid's brain in, in the first three weeks of September. You can just go yes. right from the get-go. Um, I yes. think as an athlete, it's always really apparent, um, especially now that I'm getting to be an older athlete, when a coach isn't actively learning or when a coach isn't actively trying to become better um, and grow with how the game's growing, and but also like kind of internally, like growing with what they know and, and what they're doing. Um, so kind of on that kind of theme, like how many hours a week would you say you spend like coaching, but then like, like kind of outside of that, like, what about 
what about how many hours do you spend on, on coaching when you're not even in a gym or when you're not even with players? Well, obviously um, right now is kind of backwards, but. Well, so like to give you an example of my night last night, I had practice from eight o'clock to 10 o'clock. And when I got home, I watched um, uh, Brooklyn and uh, the, Lakers. the Lakers. Last night? Yeah, they played the Lakers last night. And I think before I left, I watched a bit of a game from the day before, which was Detroit and another team, another bad team, but it was, it was a great game. Anyway, Detroit was playing someone. It was a two point game. They lost, uh, might've been Denver. Uh, no, so it was a good team, but anyway, so the point, the point is, is that when I'm watching these games, um, they're running systems, right? The NBA runs, uh, like mm -hmm. concept offense. So like, five out, reverse the ball, five man make the read, dribbles at one side, that player can either cut or screen or come, right? And there's three things they can do. They choose one, they make the read, they make a play, ball screen, shot. And in those concepts, out of timeouts, coaches run counters to their basic concepts of offensive play. So they'll, they'll run one down, the player will cut just like he's been doing the whole game. And then the five man will pass to the wing. And then the cutter will back screen the five man and all game. They've never done that, but out of the timeout, they back screen the five man and the five man gets a layup. Utah does this very well. And when they're doing that and I see it, I mental note it or I write it down. So when I'm watching any game, if I see something cool, that I haven't seen before, I write it down. And I just I just have it. I like on the iPad that I'm talking with you guys right now, I have a playbook on fast draw. And anything that I see that's awesome, I'll jot down. And that's that's how you so I'm I'm probably putting in maybe half an hour to an hour of watching games per night quickly, you know, you know, with the mm -hmm. with the fast forward button on the NBA app. Um, and then if I if the season's on you add our game film to that. Right. right. And, and game film is for me, I think some coaches I know they watch it once and then they'll watch it again. I watch it once. And then if I see something that I need to watch again, I go back and watch again. And sometimes I might just need to see it three times mm. or four times or five times. And I'm going to watch it until I see where the issue is happening. And that sometimes like watching a game can take three hours. Wow. Uh, if we win, I usually don't watch it uh, the night of, but if we lose, I usually go home and watch it that night. So it's fresh. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because especially if it's the Friday night game, um, but win or lose Friday night, we, I have to spend Friday night watching it. Win or, win or lose. If, if we win Saturday, I usually don't watch it till Sunday. If we lose Saturday, I watch it Saturday night um, to get a feel for, you know, again, like the mistakes, where the corrects, the corrections have to happen. What's the, what's the game plan theme for the following week? Uh, what's the scout theme? So advanced scouting as well. So I might also watch the team we're playing against the mm -hmm. following week that same night. Right. If I hadn't done it already during the week. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's definitely a, a large investment, um, you know, to be a good coach or a, mm-hmm. a, a coach that's aware of, you know, the, the little details that are, that are, that need to be tweaked to, to get you to that next level with your teams. Um, so that's amazing. It, it reminds me much of a teacher um, because they, they do a lot of, of, of that totally. foundational work outside of their working hours. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, um, it's amazing. Um, all of what you guys do. Um, and just wanting to kind of build on that. Um, if you can share maybe where you go to, to get a regular dose of inspiration per se, maybe it's a a specific role model. I know you kind of talked about watching NBA games or, um, if there's some, a book or maybe a content series that you're really, you know, you go to, um, well, I mean, there's, there's tons, there's tons out there. (laughs) Uh, well, how about a favorite? Yeah. Well, I mean, I have lots of favorites. That's the problem. <laughs> there's a guy, there's guys on Twitter. I can't remember their names. So I, I mean, no disrespect to them. They have a, a, a Twitter follow call or Twitter handle, uh, slap it, slap the glass or slap in the glass. Okay. Yeah. And they basically show the best sets from the Euro leagues. So oh, I, cool. when I, Oh, it's, it's, and you know, Euro leagues, they just don't have the same. They have, unreal athletes mm-hmm. but they're not nba athletes right which are genetic freaks right they're aliens and so the european stuff is very advanced it's much more complex and a lot more suitable to the fiba game that i coach mm-hmm. in so right. they're they're awesome mm-hmm. um i love listening to a player perspective podcast called the knuckleheads with okay. Darius miles and Quentin Richardson. Okay. Um, they talk to players in a very relaxed fashion and talk about things like when you first got to the NBA, who busted your ass like that? <laughs> like that's their first question to every guy they talk to. And that's to me, like five of the best minutes you can have on any podcast. Cause it's like, every guy talks about their rookie year and how they had to go against guys that maybe us as fans didn't think were that great mm. and talk about how they got their ass busted by say mm-hmm. Steve Smith. <laughs> totally. Okay. So like, you know, not everybody knows who Steve Smith is, but I think his name's come up like seven times on this podcast <laughs> about him busting someone's ass. That's um, amazing. I like the Bill Simmons podcast um when he's talking ball right and when he's talking basketball he's got a great book called the book of basketball has a list of the top 100 players of all time some of the top dynasties um and it's a great sort of cole's notes of the history of the the nba specifically Mm -hmm. um i also really enjoy phil jackson's books um not because of like the amazing things I'm going to learn from them, but because of the stories with some mm-hmm. of the greatest athletes that have ever played in the league, right? Like, right, you know, absolutely. he has a book about the Lakers, he's got a book about the Bulls, and you're, it's, you know, it's like when I watched The Last Dance, you know, you see snippets of it, the yoga, the mm-hmm. spirituality, that's all in the book, and it's a great, 
the awesome. to hear that side of it, that other connectivity that coaches need to have to have successful teams. And maybe those players didn't buy in, but I'll tell you right now, it brought them together. It seemed to bring them together. And, you know, one of the big lessons you learn from reading Phil Jackson's books is if you are in line with your captain, your team will be in line, period, mm. right? And if your captain believes in you and they're echoing the same thing that you're saying, and doing the same things that you're trying to be a leader for, you won't have to do much coaching past that because the leader will do most of it. And that's definitely a message I picked up from Phil Jackson. Um, I mean, that those, those are the ones that come to mind for me in terms of inspiration. Like I've read the book of basketball, I think three times. It's that's like, awesome. 12, it's 1200 pages. It's like, <laughs> like a dictionary of basketball. Wow. Yeah, it's not, it's it's not, like, it's not a quick it, read. But no, but like if you're if you love basketball, it takes mm. you three days, mm -hmm. right? It's a light read. It's an easy read. For sure. Yeah, kind of similar, similar, uh, similar theme. If there could be one, as we're kind of wrapping up here, if there could be one basketball player, like dead or alive, like basketball player or coach or kind of figure who, and that you could meet and you could talk to, who would it be? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I, that's a really, really tough question. I think, you know, like if I think about my, my idol growing up, like my, my boyhood idol, I wish that I could have, I guess, spoke to Alan Iverson. Yes. I, I'm with you. I have his book. I've read his book. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like the, the guy just sounds like a vampire. Like he stays up all night. <laughs> He's like, you know, like he practices and then he like, who knows what he does, right? He's like, mm. he's like a ghost in the night. And for me, he, he's, he lived such an interesting life and it's a life that's not just about basketball. And mm -hmm. so I would, I would probably want to sit down and talk with him. Um, and, you know, he, he owes a lot of his success to his mentorship that he got from John Thompson at Georgetown. Mm -hmm. And, and being African-American and having an African-American coach I mean, he can't, he mentions that almost every time I hear him talk. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and how important that was yeah. and how important that mentorship was for him. And, and, you know, like when you watch his career, it feels like he's in this constant struggle with himself mm. in games. Like you can see it in the game mm -hmm. that he's fighting his demons, that he's fighting himself. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe he didn't win a championship, but like, no one's going to look back or I won't look back at him and go, man, you know, that, that defines his career. No, it doesn't. No. It doesn't. He made the NBA finals with guys that were like defensive minded players. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty impressive. He's he, he definitely was one of my favorite players growing up. And like so many of people have said a true innovator to um, for point guards. He, he pushed me to, to ask, from the post, yo, can I, can I be a point guard? Um, he, he was epic with that ball in his hands. And, and I think, like you said, like such an amazing story of, of fighting through adversity to, to get yeah. where he was and, and still be able to represent who he is all the way through his life. Um, you know, you breaking some barriers. Yeah. Breaking some barriers yeah. within the NBA to, to represent who he is. So um, super cool. 
Um, super cool to have you on our very first podcast episode for Mike Hoops. Oh, yeah. No, I think for all, all three of us, I think uh, totally, such yeah. an awesome experience um, to get to sit with you um, to kick us off. And um, yeah, we just want to say thank you and, and good luck in, you know, the the future of your coaching career and um yeah i don't know if there's any last words <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I, I definitely I'm, have some some final thoughts about about night hoops again mm-hmm. i want to thank uh tanya finladder who got me into it uh steve anderson who was the and chad cowles who ran night hoops from the administrative side of it mm-hmm. um and and just a short little story about steve anderson who lives, you know, right by Britannia Secondary School, Steve, uh, where I work, Steve, uh, when he left Quest as the head coach, Sean Shook got the job and Sean asked Steve, hey, you know any assistants? Steve said me. And so I wouldn't have been coaching college basketball if I didn't know Steve Anderson, who watched me coach at night hoops. Someone's always watching everybody. Absolutely. Do your best every day. Do your best. Love yeah. it. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, this has been awesome. Uh, yeah, good luck with, uh, I guess you guys probably won't have a, a season this year, maybe for Capilano, but definitely good luck with uh, yes, your, upcoming, you. your upcoming season, whenever it is. Um, good luck with, with BC. I'm not sure when yeah. that would be as well, but 100%. Yeah, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Kavita. That was Cassidy Canamere, everybody, of Capilano University. Uh, we'd like just again to thank him for coming on to the very first episode of Mike Toots. Um, and of course, thank you, everyone who tuned in and gave us a listen. Um, we will have our next episode coming out in around a month in late March. So please stay tuned for that on the Night Hoop social media. Uh, and until then, thank you so much, everybody. Bye.